told Dexter a while ago, I think we've got so many folks who are sick, children who are sick, parents who are sick, I think they ate too much leftover turkey. What do you think? Uh, but a lot of people are are not well, but uh, we're glad that you're here tonight. Let's sing one chorus of this hymn that everybody knows. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, your goodness, your mercy. All the blessings, Lord, that you just pour on us daily, we're so thankful and appreciative. We thank you for your word, and tonight as we open it and study and look at its pages together, we pray, Lord, that you would illuminate our minds, help us to see and understand things perhaps we hadn't seen and understood before. May we be edified by your spirit and by your word tonight, built up, encouraged. May we grow in you, we pray. That's our desire, and Lord, we want to glorify your name and how we live our lives and how we live out your word on a daily basis. So to that end, we study your word tonight, and we ask your favor upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We are glad that you're here, and here we are in the uh, last week of the next to the last month of the year. And you're about two weeks from being finished. (laughs) And reading through our Bibles, beginning in January, ending somewhere 14th or the 15th. If you're a day or two behind, maybe the 16th or 17th. But you get the idea. We're almost to cross the finish line. Some have already done it. Annette called me a month ago, I guess it was, or texted me. She said, I just want you to know I'm finished. I'm so excited. Not that she was finished, but she was enjoying it so much. Well, she wasn't finished. She was caught up, but she was about to finish. I think she told me Sunday she was right on schedule. But uh, so many people have told me that they really have enjoyed reading their Bibles this year through, that it really meant something and was a good exercise for us. And in conjunction with that, As you know, we've been taking a book of the Bible every Wednesday night and then the Sunday and uh, dealing with that in Bible study and then in sermon format on Sunday. um, We're not as close to finishing on that part of it, are we? We've got a good ways to go in the New Testament, and tonight we come to the book of Galatians. And that's where we're going to study tonight. It's good tonight to have with us Brother Jesse Parrish. He's the pastor of the Church of the Crossroads, which as the crow flies is probably two miles, mile and a half, (laughs) right down 401 at the intersection basically of 401 and 98. You go down to 98, turn left, church is on the right there. How long have you been there, brother? 
I thought it was a long time because when I came, you you were you'd been there a while then. Uh, so we welcome you tonight. Thirty four years. You don't look a bit over forty. <laughs> oh, thanks for joining us tonight. Um, as you can see, I've scribbled some things on the board tonight that will at least maybe keep us on track. And so tonight as we study Paul's epistle to the Galatians, um, it is, I think, noteworthy and, and necessary for us to understand tonight who the writer is, uh, because it's going to play into the message that uh, he writes to this group of people. The Galatians, whereas... Um, Last couple of weeks, we've talked about the Corinthian church, and the Corinthian church was written to, uh, or the Corinthian, the book of First and Second Corinthians was written to the Corinthians who lived in what town? Corinth, Corinth exactly. And when we get to Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, and we've talked about that. Well, tonight, Galatians is a little bit different because Galatia wasn't really a city per se. It was, it was more of a country or a district. It's a whole region. Um, the churches of Galatia. It was a, quite a stretch, quite a strip of land, not just a city like Corinth would have been, but a larger area geographically. So the churches uh, in Galatia is who Paul was dealing with here and writing to. And... This is really a straightforward letter. Um, uh, he has some things uh, that, that he wants to tell them. Uh, there's, there's some rebuke. He's very plain as he speaks with them because there's problems there that he's aware of. And so um, he begins his epistle uh, by, as he often does, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle. But he, he goes to the heart of the issue really quick. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He's um, substantiating his calling, his office. What gives him the right to say the things that he's about to say? And do you think it would have been unusual for anybody to call into question his right to say these things? What do you know about Paul that might have um, kind of opened a door for people to criticize him as an apostle? Okay, I, I heard... Charles, I heard somebody else too, I didn't hear what you said, I'm going to come right back to that. But he had persecuted Christians, and we'll get back to that, but what else was there? Generally speaking, what was the requirement of the apostles? You go back to Acts chapter 1 and read that. Someone who had been with Jesus, right? Saw him work his miracles been under his teaching like the disciples were, the twelve, during that period of time in, in the life of Christ. So, Paul didn't fit in that category, did he? Because he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a believer then. He wasn't one of the twelve. 
And so that kind of opens the door for some people to question his apostleship. Was he really an apostle? They would say, and even in 2 Corinthians, we didn't get into that last week, but that was a major thing. Uh, there was a lot of people calling in to question his authority as an apostle. So uh, he wasn't like the twelve in as much as he spent three years under the earthly ministry of Jesus, witnessing the miracles and hearing the teaching and um, the, the things he had to say. Paul didn't have that um, privilege, at least not at that time, to be with Jesus in the way that they had. But there was an answer to that that our Lord had, as we'll see here in a few moments. So people um, were somewhat skeptical of his authority. Even the, even the apostles themselves in Jerusalem and the church in Jerusalem were very suspicious of Paul. As Charles mentioned, Paul was um, a hater of the Christians. Uh, we're going to read tonight where he actually um, saw it as his calling. He thought he was doing the Lord's service by going out and killing Christians and stamping out Christianity and so forth. He just hated it. And so, when you are when you have the reputation for persecuting Christians and killing Christians. What type, of that, what type of reception is that going to get you a little later when you come back and, and you want to talk about Jesus and, and the wonders of the Lord and the grace of God? They're going to be suspicious, aren't they? Is he just trying to get in? Is he, trying, is he spying? Is he just trying to get on our good side so he can do the same thing to us that we've heard he's done to other people? So they were very suspicious at the first. And all this can be verified even here in the book of Galatians. Somebody tell me, if you would, about, about the calling of Saul. His name was Saul. And he was a persecutor of the Christians by his own testimony many times in the New Testament. Somebody, in a nutshell, tell me about his conversion Anybody remember about Paul's conversion? Saul's conversion? Okay, the early the early church early on was centered in what city? Jerusalem. Um, Harold, if you would check out this truck pulling in here if you don't mind just kind of keep an eye on it um, it's awful big to be a normal at a church on Wednesday night <laughs> um, but the church was located in Jerusalem right because we studied and talked about that day of Pentecost and all that happened there um, but Paul was on his way he had gone to the leadership of the church in Jerusalem and he had asked for letters and permission to give him the authority to go somewhere else and persecute the Christians. Anybody remember what that was? What place it was? Damascus. It was Damascus. 
And so he has secured these letters from the high priest. He's on his way with their authority to persecute Christians to Damascus. Damascus now is in in what country? Anybody know? Syria. So it's we're not talking about across the street. It's a good ways away. Damascus is a good long ways away. The Bible says he he was on the road to Damascus and he was near Damascus when what Donna said happened. He was he was stricken down, he was blinded, he fell to his face and he didn't it's kind of like he didn't know what hit him. And the Lord revealed himself to Saul and uh Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. If you, you, you know, you, you're trying to go away, I don't want you to go. And it's going to be hard for you to do that. It's not going to be a pleasant way. And, and so Saul recognized him as being the Lord. And so he, he, he gave his life to the Lord. He was saved there. And, and you can read all of that in about the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. So he had a genuine conversion, didn't he? This wasn't fake. It was real. It was genuine. God called this man to go preach the gospel that he had, up until this point, been persecuting. So let's begin reading his testimony in verse 11 of chapter 1. Now, he's, he's already stated who this is. It's Paul. He's an apostle. He's an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. It's like I've heard before about preachers. I've heard this saying, some's called, some sent, and some just got up and went. So Paul is letting it be known here that he was one who was called. And he's got the testimony to back it up here in verse 11. He says, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we've already discussed how he was converted and how he came to the Lord. Verse 15 says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, let's follow the line of thinking that we've already been discussing. The church is located in Jerusalem. Paul, while he's in Jerusalem as a Christ-hater, a persecutor of the church, gets permission, authorization from the high priest to go to Damascus and to persecute the Christians. He's on his way. He's near Damascus, the New Testament says, when he experienced this, this uh, unbelievable conversion as he was knocked flat on his face before God and he, he came to Christ and the Lord turned him around and authorized him and called him to go preach the gospel. And he says, after this happened, he said, you would suspect, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be logical then that he would turn around and go back to Jerusalem to the leadership of the church and tell them what had happened? You'd think. But he says, I, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia. What's in Arabia? 
Nothing. <laughs> it's desert. <laughs> he went to Arabia. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He gets called by God and he goes to Arabia. And what does the first four words in verse 18 say? Then after three years. He spent three years in Arabia after being called by God. Now wait just a minute. The apostles, the twelve, spent how long with Jesus? In when he was as his as he was ministering, he started his ministry and he ministered for how long and taught them before he was crucified? Three, three and a half years. And so, what we find here is that the Lord now calls the apostle Paul, and he doesn't go to Jerusalem, but the Bible says he goes to Arabia and then returned again to Damascus without going to Jerusalem first. And, and we find out that that period, after three years, he was, let me remind you of this. In, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says this, and we read this fairly often when we have communion. The Apostle says, Now I received from the Lord what I'm about to tell you, that on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and he broke it, and he took the cup, and he drank it, and said, this is my body broken for you. And he talks about this whole scene that played out at the Last Supper. Paul wasn't at the Last Supper, was he? No. How did he find out about all the details of this that he's talking about? He tells us, for I received of the Lord what I'm about to tell you. And he rehearses that before them at different places throughout the Scripture. So Paul was being tutored, taught by the Lord for three years, just like the other apostles were. It's, it's amazing some of the things he says about that. But let's continue in verse 22. And he says, And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. I, I think that's amazing. 14 years later, he goes to Jerusalem. So, and, and when he did, you know what he was met with? Criticism and suspicion. As you continue reading um, in that same chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, he, it says, verse 2, And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately, I did it privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Not, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Uh, if you're going to go into Jerusalem, especially if you're going to go into the temple area, you had to do what? It'd be Jewish, right? If you were going to go into those sacred places, you had to be circumcised and be part of the covenant people in those special areas. And verse 4 says, And this occurred because the false brethren secretly bought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we 
did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. They're suspicioning Paul. They don't trust him. And here he comes with a Gentile who hasn't been circumcised and goes to the church, the Jewish church in Jerusalem, and they're shaking their heads. <laughs> you got to watch this guy. We don't trust him. And there's, there's contention that's taking place. Uh, verse 6, But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, these people who were criticizing Paul and being suspicious of him, Paul says, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised, the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me 14 years later, count the other three, 17 years later, the Bible says they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Well, I would say it's about time, wouldn't you, that they began to trust him. And the Bible says that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. So, we, we see Paul's testimony, how that he's been converted. We understand there was some suspicion against him. We understand why, because of his background. So now we pick up with the message of this gospel and a warning that he writes to the Galatians beginning in verse 6. Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So I have to speak up, he says. I have to take a stand for what is right. And that's true with any preacher of the gospel nowadays. There are things that, um, that, that culture is causing us to, asking us, requesting, and even sometimes demanding of us as Christians that we accept, that we cannot accept. Amen? We don't, as we've talked about several times, we don't take our cue from the world. We don't let the world dictate to us what we believe. We believe what the Word of God says, and that is going to be costly. Costly for pastors, preachers, costly for people who are willing to stand up and let it be known that they are believers in the truest sense of the Word. So what happened here? 
is that there were people who were converted, who who believed the gospel. They they heard about the grace of God and how there was forgiveness for sins. And they began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's preaching to the Gentiles, remember. And then there came some people from Jerusalem who saw things a little differently. Isn't it true that if we're not very careful, all of us bring into our our relationship with the Lord, our belief, our understanding of Scripture, we bring in certain things that may or may not be consistent with Scripture, right? Uh, if that were not the case, why would we have so many denominations and churches nowadays? Right? Because different people look at the Word and different people have different commitments to the Word, different commitment levels, different understanding and so forth. Uh, were these people sincere who came from Jerusalem and said, Oh no, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a good Christian, you've got to be circumcised. Now, who's, who's doing the talking there? Who's making those demands? Who would be saying that? Yeah, the Jews would be saying that. Paul is reaching out to Gentiles. He's been called to preach to the Gentiles. The Gen- there, was no, there was no commandment. There was no instruction. There was no requirement that Gentiles be circumcised. And, and may I say here, I was thinking about this afternoon. I think we need to understand this. The, the circumcision that they had then cannot be equated with the circumcision that we have now. Amen. When Nowadays, when a baby's born, typically a male baby, what, one or two days old or three days old, something like that, usually is circumcised. But it has nothing to do with the circumcision that was taking place in Bible days. That, that had to do with a covenant with God to separate and distinguish his people among all others. Nobody else was doing that. So don't try to associate it with circumcision today because the two aren't even related really. So as we, as we look at this, you had the Gentiles who were, who were unaccustomed to even dreaming about circumcision. They didn't know anything about that. All they were preached to was that there is a real God. You need to turn from your idols and, and repent of your sin and come to Christ and He'll wash you clean, write your name in the Lamb's of the Gospel. What we like to hear. Amen? Amazing grace. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve heaven. But the Lord reaches down in His love and His mercy and cleanses us and washes us. Amen? That's what He does. Well, that's the message that Paul was preaching to the Gentiles. And it was good news to their ears. And many of them were saying yes to that. And they began to follow Jesus. And just like it is today, sometimes if people sincerely turn to the Lord and begin to follow Jesus, it won't be long before certain people start making demands on their life and requirements and things they need to do. Some of them may be biblical, some of them may not be biblical. But in this case, there were Judaizers or people from Jerusalem. The Jews were coming to where Paul was and they were demanding that these people that he's winning to the Lord, that they too be circumcised. Those of you who are students of the New Testament, this wasn't the only requirement that surfaced, was it? There were others, such as, pardon me? Yeah, the, the foods that they eat. They were expect. they would have said you can't eat pork chops. 
you know, no ham biscuits, none of that. There were certain things you could eat and certain things you could not eat as a Jew, and they'd want to impose that on the on the new Christians that were not Jewish, and circumcision, and certain holy days, and the observance of certain feasts and so forth. And, and that was a real issue in the early church because let's remind ourselves, the early church was made up of what group of people? They were all Jews. Let, let's, let's don't ever get cocky about that. Jesus was a Jew, right? The disciples were Jewish. On the day of Pentecost, when they were gathered together, there were Jews. And it was, it was later that the Gentiles began to be brought in. But the early church was a Jewish church. I mean, that's, that's why the, the, we need to understand the Old Testament is, is God's revelation to the Jewish people. And the Jewish people were called to do something very special. And, and God had a purpose for them. And God still has promises that He's made to them. So they, and that's why today we as Christians support um, the Jewish nation, right? We've said many times before, we if we ever turn our back on Jerusalem, on Israel, we're in trouble as a nation. So we understand that from Scripture. But the Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And the Lord wants the gospel preached not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Which is why he took a hard-headed Christian hater and drove him to his knees and turned him around and put a calling on his life. And then Paul went out and became probably the greatest evangelist that the world's ever known. With the success that he had and the impact he's had. So, and then comes the Judaizers to criticize Paul for what he's done and all these Christians try to make them line up and do it the right way. So they, these Gentiles accepted the beauty of the gospel and grace of God, justification by faith and so forth. They, they believed that, they accepted that until these Judaizers came and began to mess them up. No, this is not enough. Now, the fact that you gave your life to Christ is not enough. Now you've got to, you've got to be circumcised. And now you've got to quit eating ham biscuits. And now you've got to, all these other requirements. You've got to line up now with the way we understand it as Jews. You've got to line up with us. And what did Paul call that? He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Let me ask you this. If you took a, a um, tall pitcher of water that was crystal clear, beautiful, clean, cool water... That's that's valuable stuff on a hot summer day when you're thirsty, isn't it? But if you pour Clorox into that, or you pour poison into that, or you pour a cup of mud into that, it's no longer clear. It's not it's not what it was, is it? It's 
not clear water anymore. It's been perverted. It's been polluted. It's been, no, it's, it's lost its appeal. It's lost its ability to, to do for you what you need. And, and Paul is very, very adamant about this as he goes through. He's going to talk about justification by faith. We talked about Martin Luther a few weeks ago. How that Martin Luther studied the Bible and came across that. The just shall live by faith. It transformed his life. The Protestant Reformation resulted from that. Um, and we are told that, uh, well, Martin Luther himself said that the book of Galatians was his favorite book. Now, if you turn away from faith in Christ and grace and, and all those things, what are you left with? You're left with works. It means I've got to earn my salvation. I've got to do certain things in order to be saved. And, of course, that's, that's not desirable at all. That's not the way it should be. And because we're already running out of time and we hadn't got out of the beginning yet, I'm going to have to um, move a little faster. I'm going to skip chapter 2, which talks about this um, little conflict that Paul had with Peter. Uh, you can read that for yourself. Um, there was some contention there. And... Um, Paul stands up and lets it be known. Uh, I'll read verse 16, for instance. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So he's going to hit that and hit it and hit it. Verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Listen to these questions. Very direct. This only I want to learn from you. We'd say it this way. I want to ask you one question. That's the way we'd say it. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, maybe there's one more question. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? He goes on in verse 11, he says, No one is justified by the law in the sight of God. This is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having, began, be, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And over the next um, two or three chapters, Paul talks about the Spirit 16 times. He talks about faith 21 times. In the book of Galatians, he talks about the law 31 times. You've you, you got to see the, 
you got to see the contrast there. 31 times he talks about the law. And he turns around and talks 21 times about faith, 16 times about the Spirit, 10 times about the promise. There's obviously this, this contrast that he's trying to draw between the two. Um, sonship, that's an important thing in the book of Galatians, verse 26 of chapter 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You cannot give enough in the offering to become a son of God. Amen? You can't attend church enough Sundays to become a son of God. You can't sing enough songs in the choir to become a son of God. You become a son of God or a daughter of God. How? Exactly. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Um, verse 4, but when the fullness of the time was come. Oh, this would be a great verse for Christmas sermon. Would it not? When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And Paul is driving home this, these spiritual blessings that we receive because of the grace of God and our faith in the Lord. Not because of, of any works we have done. As a matter of fact, in verse 11, Paul says, I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. I'm, I'm about to think maybe I've wasted my time. Verse 12. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You've been good to me. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus what then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear witness that if possible you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Listen, the Bible tells us, let's see here. Here we go, chapter 6, verse 11. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Notice that. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. When we were studying Corinthians, what did we learn about Paul 
and his uh, writing Corinthians. Anybody remember? Did Paul write the book of Corinthians himself? Yeah, he, he had an amanuensis. He had somebody there writing for him as he gave them the words. Tertullus, wasn't it? Maybe it was 1 Corinthians. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry? Well, I thought at the end he gave he gave him the opportunity to speak up. Pardon me. I, I was thinking it was Second um, Corinthians. Well, that's what happens when I use two or three different Bibles. Well, let me check Romans right quick. Maybe I'm remembering that one. Yeah. It's Romans 16, verse 22. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. And he was somebody who just wrote for Paul as Paul talked and wrote it down. Um, there's a pretty much a consensus that... Um, Paul had problems with his eyes and couldn't see very well. So he would dictate these letters to uh, somebody who was writing down for him. But when you get to Galatians, um, we know he didn't do that in this particular case because in verse 11, and it's interesting that he, he would even say this and say it this way. See what, a, what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Um, he wrote this himself. Maybe, maybe he. This was so so much on his mind, so much on his spirit, and he wanted to write, and somebody wasn't available to do it for him. He just did it for himself, or maybe he did it intentionally because he wanted them to know this was important. He was going to do it, even though he had to struggle to get it done with large letters. You see, I have written to you with my own hand, but. But this is this message is coming from his heart, and he wants them to know that. And and they knew him and knew of him, and he had a relationship with him, and it broke his heart that that they would be abandoning this gospel. That listen, is it is it um, is it hard to imagine that we? When I say we, I mean Christians in the 21st century. Is it hard to imagine that we could pervert the gospel? If, um, 
Of course, you all know I'm pretty plain spoken, so no point in trying to conceal it. <laughs> Since Brother Paris is here, so excuse me just a minute, Brother Paris. But if I stand up in front of a church, I've got a whole church full of people, and oh boy, there's just a bunch of people coming, and they're all tithing, and, and they're just putting the money in the, in the treasury, you know. And so to keep them coming, I'm going to say, don't worry about it, folks. It's all right. It, you know, same-sex marriage, it's okay. It's not a big deal. So just just keep coming. Uh, like Dad says a lot of times, not with regard to religion, but I, he say, keep those cards and letters coming. Just joking sometimes. Well, sometimes churches are noted for doing that for that very reason, aren't they? Is that not perverting the gospel? Trying to convince the people it's okay? Not telling them the truth, but telling them what they want to hear? Making them feel better? You know, tick, t- tickling their ears? Um, I would say there's a whole lot of perverting the gospel that's going on in our culture today. Pardon me? Absolutely. So when you look at, at false doctrine, even though it's coming from a man with a necktie and he's standing there with the Bible, if it's false doctrine, it's perverted gospel, isn't it? It's not the real thing, not the genuine, genuine thing. So Paul understands that, and he, he pulls no punches. He's very plain about that, and he just lets it be known that, that we, are, we are not saved by our works. I could be a billionaire... I could be a billionaire and put a million dollars into the church every single year. Would that get me to heaven? No. It would not. I could, I could have the voice of an angel and have sold platinum records and come in and sing every Sunday in church. Would that get me to heaven? None of those things are going to matter. What's going to matter is, what have I done with Jesus? Have I committed my life to Him and am I, am I living for Him in my fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and have received His forgiveness? That, isn't that a beautiful phrase, received His forgiveness? You can't earn His forgiveness. You receive, that's why the Bible says it's the gift, right? Salvation is a gift. And anytime we get away from that and start attaching things, listen, if uh, you've seen pole vaulters, right, or... Or hurdlers run a race. If if this is the bar right here, if this is the standard, God does have a standard, right? If that's the standard, if if I as a pastor preach a message that's down here that doesn't quite measure up to the standard, would that be a perverted gospel? All right, now don't leave me. If I as a pastor came up here and added a few standards of my own and preached that? Is that a perverted gospel? Thank you. It goes either way, doesn't it? So what we're, what we're interested in here is not these things or these things. This is what matters, the standard, which is why we preach and teach and should read our Bibles and know what this book says. All right? Because we cannot earn our way to heaven. I think so many times what the Bible says about the four and twenty elders gathered around the throne, where it talks about they all shine their crowns and they strutted around and, and let people look at them. That's not what it says, is it? What did they do? 
they took their crowns and they cast them at the feet of the Lord. Why? Because they didn't deserve those crowns. They didn't do anything to earn those crowns. That's, this is about grace. And and that's that's why we started out tonight with amazing grace. Grace is amazing. You know, it doesn't matter what you've done. You could be a you could be a Christian killer, like Paul was. And if he quit kicking against the pricks and follow the Lord, he receives amazing grace. Didn't deserve it. How many of us are saved tonight? Didn't deserve it, but the Lord just absolutely. That's that's the message of Galatians. You can't earn it. It's not about works. That's why Martin Luther's life was absolutely transformed when, when as this priest, he felt condemned. He never could feel like he was right with God. He was miserable. He was burdened. He, he never was happy until he stumbled across in the Scripture one day, the just shall live by faith. And he got to thinking about that until he understood what that meant. And then it was gone. Charles? You say he stumbled across. I think, I think maybe it was uh, by divine uh, intervention. Sure. <laughs> no doubt about that. No doubt about that. Um, but he, and he was on a search. He was looking and studying Scripture. But this thing just, just came on. Have you, ever, have you ever heard something? Well, I had something this just yesterday. Yesterday was Tuesday. Day before yesterday. I was riding down the road. I was listening to the sermon from Sunday. Uh, I don't often do that. I did like it. I mean, when I finished, the Lord, dumped, the Lord just dumped a revelation on me after I had finished listening to that part too. And I don't know when I'm going to get to do that, but I can't wait. But that it was amazing. I had never thought about that before. And so we, it's amazing how we can be reading the Scripture and stumble across something, Charles. We've never seen it before. We didn't know it was there. But when you see it, it is absolutely life-changing to understand what God's Word actually says. And so it's a, it's a very important principle. We've only got less than 10 minutes to go. Let's see here. Let's look at, here's the contrast I alluded to earlier. Um, you can see here the number of times these things are talked about. But look at the contrast between the law of the flesh and being in bondage to faith and walking in the Spirit. I could have put this, being the Son of God in there. That's so many times too. And the promises that God gives. A, a big, a big uh, difference there. Big contrast. Now, let's talk about these for what time we have remaining because this is one of the more popular, um, noteworthy passages of Scripture in the book of uh, Galatians. Uh, first is the, the works of the flesh. And I, I don't think I had ever made this distinction consciously or at, at, until tonight when I was writing this up here. But we call this the works of the flesh, right? What was it that Paul condemned? In, in this book. Well, he didn't really condemn works, but he condemned faith in works, 
for, for your salvation. And, and there's, we've said this before, and you all know this, when we talk about works um, and the, the relationship between the two, faith and works, it's not that works are bad. Once we come to Christ and we get saved, we're supposed to go to work for Him, right? So it's not that works are bad, but, but works won't save you. It has to be the blood of Christ that saves you. And then we go to work for Him, being faithful to Him. Then we give a million dollars a year to the church if we can. And then the Lord will bless that, won't He? Will the Lord reward that? Yes. Sure. It's a great part of the, the uh, judgment. We're going to be rewarded according to our works, the Bible says. Rewarded according to you're going to be you're going to make it to heaven because of the blood of Christ and salvation, but there's going to be rewards according to our works. The Bible says very plainly. But some people are trusting in works for their salvation. That's not where it's at. But the works of the flesh now are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. This is right from Galatians five, by the way. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, and drunkenness. Revelries and the like. In other words, this is not a complete list. There are other things that could be considered the works of the flesh. Come over here to contrast that and you have the fruit of... Of the Spirit. You think about works, you're putting forth effort. You know, you're, that's what you think. Most of us think work is effort, right? When you, when you work, you sweat. When you work, you get tired. Fruit is just kind of, I, I never have seen an apple tree sweat. Fruit is just something that is natural, right? When you're, surrend- when you're a Christian, and you're walking with the Lord, and His Spirit is is indwelling your life, and you are trusting and walking with the Lord, these things are natural things that will happen in your life. Right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. The contrast in the book of Galatians is between these things and those things. If you see these things, you know they're associated with the flesh. If you see these things, you know that you're associated with the Spirit. That's, it's pretty, pretty plain, isn't it? The contrast that he draws there. So, next time somebody cuts you off on Capitol Boulevard... And there's this outburst of wrath. Where's that coming from? <laughs> we want him to deny that, will we? There's no denying that. There's no denying that. Um, it's it's um, it's an embarrassment, really. It's a it's a blight. It's a shame that in the church, anywhere, the church in general, you would find hatred, isn't it? It is, or or adultery, or, or any of these contentions and and jealousy, murders, drunkenness, 
dissensions. I, every time I read this list and I think of murder, um, we would look at that and say, well, we don't do that. We don't do that. But the Bible says that our tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. We can kill with our tongue. We can kill with what we say. Kill somebody's influence, kill somebody's character, and so forth. Um, all of these things are things that are of the flesh, which we, we would like to eliminate from our lives, and can if we are walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, living in the Spirit, so forth. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I like chapter 6, verse 1, and then we're going to have to bring it to a close. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If we, if we see a brother, a person, overtaken in a sin, a trespass, a fault, they're, they're stumbling, they're falling, what is the proper response for us there? Thank you. That's good. So according to this scripture, what what are we supposed to do? Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. In other words, we're, we're supposed to show some compassion and concern, right? As Brother Parrish says, Doesn't the King James Version say, go to? King James Version says, go to such and one. This one says restore. You can't really restore unless you go to them. But you go to that person. You don't talk about that person. Oh, me. Right? You, you don't put it on Facebook about that person. As a matter of fact, I would suggest that you don't talk to anybody about that person unless you first talk to that person and God. Uh, oh, what, what problems could be eliminated if, like Brother Parrish said, if we didn't run it up a flagpole and try to advertise it. But if we would just talk to that person and to God about it. And isn't it interesting, we've seen even in the Olympics, people who are in competition do that very thing. 
instead of letting their competitor fall in the Olympics, going for a medal. Stop and go over here and help that person up and help them reach the finish line. Wow. And that's the way we ought to be as Christians. Go to a person and restore them in the spirit of meekness and gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Well, that's kind of um, a feeble attempt to handle so much in such little time. Great, great book of the Bible. We have um, a prayer request that I promised Lisa Revis that we would pray about tonight before we leave. You've heard this prayer request many times in the last months at our church. Janie Lassiter. Janie Lassiter is um, Lisa's, depending on where you're from, if you're from White County, it's Lisa's aunt. If you're from somewhere else, it's her aunt. Uh, but this is Lisa's aunt uh, who has stage 4 ovarian cancer and just today did not get good news and um, treatment thus far has not been working and it doesn't look like unless something happens that she's going to be with us much longer. Lisa was in tears asking me, uh, to please share this tonight. So we want to play, pray again for um, Janie Lassiter. This would be Lisa's aunt. Um, we, we do have a lot of people sick, a lot of children and parents sick and not here tonight. So I don't know what it is. Uh, even in the daycare, there's a lot of stuff moving around. So uh, let's just pray for those who are not well among us. And um, anybody else have a request you want to share? Nelda? Mm-hmm. Right. Robbie? Okay, let's remember Carol. Anybody else? Okay. Tony's got too much to do to be slowed down with that, doesn't he? Okay, would you stand with me? The kids are finished in there, it sounds like. So uh, let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus said, and when you pray, say, let's do it. Father, Lord, we lift up our needs to you tonight. You've heard these names that have been called. Oh, Lord, we are so thankful and appreciative for a God who loves and a God who cares, a God who is able to minister to our needs. So we lift these to you, Lord. I'm praying that your kingdom would come. I'm praying that your will would be done in every one of these situations. Oh, Lord, there are, there are situations that are beyond my ability to know what is the right thing, what is the best thing. But you're a loving Heavenly Father who cares for us more than we know, more than we can understand. And I just ask you as my Heavenly Father, Lord, that your will would be done in each one of these situations for which we would be so thankful. You see the end from the beginning, Lord. You don't want to mess up our lives. You want to, to do what's right for us, what's best for us. So, Lord, I just yield to you tonight and ask you to minister to these needs. Thank you, Lord, for each one who is here tonight. 
Lord, for those who are not able to be here, please reach out and touch them, bless them, encourage them, Lord, and touch their bodies, I pray in Christ's name. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Allow us, Lord, to leave this place and to let our light shine and be salt and light. Be what you've called us to be by your grace. And we would be so thankful. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here tonight.